Hi, I'm Tracy McCauley. I'm Nathan Wayne. And I'm Liz Sulaika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. And welcome to CardioScripts, a cardiology podcast brought to you in collaboration with the ACCP Cardiology Practice and Research Network. Enjoy the episode. I'm so excited to be back with our CardioScripts community today as my guest and I break down a recent cardiology clinical trial. Dr. Kaluzna is a clinical assistant professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago College of Pharmacy and a cardiovascular clinical pharmacist at the University of Illinois Hospital and Health Sciences System. Her practice site includes a mixture of general and ICU cardiology patients. She also serves as the PGY2 Cardiology Pharmacy Residency Program Director at UIC. As we are recording, it is a beautiful, warm, late spring day here in Kentucky, and for some reason, that makes it feel so appropriate to be discussing the Paradise MI trial. Stephanie, I think it was easily the most anticipated late breaker session of the ACC 21 meeting, so I'm really looking forward to digesting it with you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Before we dive in, I'm going to give our audience an overview of the Paradise MI trial. It's important to note that the full publication is not yet available by the time that Stephanie and I are recording, so we are discussing mostly the design and baseline characters which are published and available in the European Journal of Heart Failure in April, and the results as presented on May 15th at the 21 ACC meeting. Briefly, we know that over the years, improved survival of AMI has resulted in increased prevalence of heart failure. And patients with a low EF and heart failure symptoms immediately post-MI are at greater risk of adverse outcomes. So this study sought to evaluate the role of angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor ARNI in this cohort. The Paradis-MI trial was a multinational randomized double-blind active controlled trial that included patients who were greater than 18 years old and who had had an AMI half day to seven days previously. All patients had to have an LVEF of less than 40 and or evidence of heart failure defined as pulmonary edema requiring IV diuretics. At least one of eight additional risk factors that could include diabetes, prior MI, advanced age, low EGFR, even lower EF of less than 30, KILIP class two through four, and a STEMI without reperfusion within the 24 hours. Patients were excluded if they had known prior heart failure or if they had EGFR less than 30 or serum potassium greater than 5.2, a history of angioedema or intolerance to ACE or ARB. In the end of enrollment, they had randomized 5,669 patients who were stratified by whether they had a non-STEMI or an ST segment elevation, and then randomized to Ramipril 1.25 milligrams twice daily or Secubitril Valsartan 24-26 twice daily. Both were subsequently titrated as tolerated up to 5 and 97-103 milligrams twice daily as tolerated. Patients were enrolled an average of 4.3 days after their AMI presentation and followed for 23 months. The key primary objective of Paradise was to determine whether Secubitril Valsartan would be superior to Ramipril in reducing the incidence of cardiovascular death, heart failure hospitalization, or outpatient development of heart failure in a time-to-first-event analysis. The first secondary outcome was a double composite of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalization. So the results, the mean age of patients was about 64 years old. About 18% of them were of that advanced age category at greater than 75 years old. A quarter of them were female. And as far as diversity, 75% were Caucasian, 17% ish Asian, and only 1.3% were black patients. 
As far as the key inclusion criteria, approximately 75% had ST segment elevation MI at presentation and 25% with non-STEMI. 83% had an LVEF less than 40% in enrollment. 54% had congestive symptoms. And that means there were only about 17% that only had symptoms of heart failure as their key inclusion criteria. Most patients had more than one augmenting risk factor with diabetes and advanced age being the most common. And as far as management of the index event, PCI was performed in 88% of patients with drug-eluting stents placed in 90% of those. And ACE and ARBs were generally used in most patients in 86% of subjects they were already on prior to randomization. Since we're pharmacists, a rundown of the medical therapy, greater than 98% of patients were on DAPT, 95% on statin, 85% on beta blocker, and 41% on MRA. The primary endpoint, that CV death, first heart failure hospitalization or outpatient heart failure event, was not statistically significantly reduced and was 11.9% in the RNE arm and 13.2% in Ramipril with a p-value of 0.17. This translated to about 7.4 events per 100 patient years for Ramipril and 6.7 events per 100 patient years for Sucubitrol Balsartan. None of the secondary endpoints were statistically significantly reduced either with the exception of the combination of total heart failure hospitalizations, outpatient heart failure events, and CV mortality, which was slightly lower in the Sucubitrol Balsartan group, as well as hypotension, which was slightly more common, occurring in 28.4% of Sucubitrol Balsartan patients compared to 22% of Ramipril patients with a p-value of less than 0.05. As far as tolerability, cough and liver dysfunction were more common in Ramipril and cough and interestingly, hypotension more commonly led to discontinuation of the Ramipril. The full subgroup evaluation is not available at this time, as we mentioned, and there's just a lot to talk about here anyway. So we wanted to go ahead and get this out to our CardioScripts audience. Stephanie, I'm really excited to hear what you think, and maybe we can just start with you telling me your overall thoughts and impressions from the Paradise MI study. Yeah, I think leading up to ACC, I was kind of super excited, really hoping to see another sort of slam dunk trial for Secubitril Valsartan and was a little disappointed with the results. But I think it sought to answer a really important question. We've known for a while now the benefits that Secubitril Valsartan has in our chronic heart failure therapy patients, but really still didn't have a ton of information about initiating that as sort of the first line RAS inhibitor in our patients who are post-acute coronary events. I definitely appreciated that this trial sought to answer that specific question. I think the Pioneer HF study, only about a third of them were that new onset heart failure that they started to Cubitrovalsartan in. So this was really the first study that looked at new onset heart failure and starting Cubitrovalsartan right out of the gate. It answers a really important question and I think ultimately leaves me with more questions, which hopefully we'll, we'll get some answers to when we see the final publication. You know, you and I talked briefly when we were planning for this about publication bias. You know, I feel like if this had been a slam dunk, we would be talking about the New England Journal of Medicine publication already. So it's not uncommon for us to know a little bit less when things are a little less clear, but I think that means there are just more questions than answers at this point, like you said. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic definitely affected enrollment of a lot of clinical trials over this period, which did affect sort of the enrollment and the follow-up of this trial as well. Um, the full extent of that, we also don't understand yet and how the implications were on trials. So it's important to know this is sort of happening in the backbone of a crazy time in all of our lives. So what were your thoughts on, you know, I feel like when I talk to 
people that are involved in the practice that we have at UK, we definitely don't use as much Ramacryl as I think they use in Europe and certainly maybe other parts of the country. But a lot of people sort of questioned, what's this thing with Ramacryl and Ramacryl BID? So what are your thoughts on that as their active treatment arm? I think that's a good question. And their publication of their methods, they highlighted that it's the most commonly prescribed ACE inhibitor post-acute coronary event globally. So from a logistical perspective, I think that certainly makes sense. But I think they were also sort of pulling from the AIR trial that was published back in the 90s that showed that benefit of ramipril after an acute coronary event in patients with new left ventricular systolic dysfunction. So I actually thought it was an appropriate sort of comparator and appropriate dosing that they were trying to achieve in, in both of those arms. Great. And I think, like you said, a lot of this ACE inhibitor, specifically in this patient population with post-ACS heart failure symptoms, is based on studies in the early 90s. And AIR really did lead the way with their Ramapril being dose BID in that one as well. So we both feel very comfortable with Ramapril BID being the control group. When we talk about not giving patients an ACE inhibitor in this setting, do you feel like ARB is an appropriate alternative? And do we have data that supports Valsartan specifically? Yeah, I think the question, I guess, is whether or not it could be appropriate to to give these patients an, an ARB as opposed to an ACE inhibitor in the active treatment. And I think based on the Valiant study where Valsartan was able to sort of replicate the effects or the benefits that ACE inhibitors provide after an acute coronary event, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have this active treatment arm compare an ARB as opposed to an ACE inhibitor. And especially when in combination with a neprilysin inhibitor, we know the increased risk of angioedema if we use it concomitantly with an ACE inhibitor instead of an angiotensin receptor blocker. So I think overall from that design perspective, it, it definitely makes sense. When I sort of reflect on this trial and, and reread some of these trials like Air and Valiant that I haven't dusted off in a long time, you know, I kind of think of it as placebo versus adding Secubitrol, right? Because I feel very comfortable with the interchangeability of ACE or ARB in this setting. And it's really does Secubitrol add something else to this patient population as far as their management, their prevention of heart failure related outcomes. I think the question comes up with how do we feel like they were managed at baseline, which was largely left to the discretion of the provider outside of the clinical trial? Yeah, I think overall, they hit a lot of the key therapies that we use on a day-to-day -day basis for our acute coronary syndrome patients. Overwhelming majority of these patients are on dual antiplatelet therapy. They're on you know, statin therapy. I think 80 some percent are receiving beta blocker therapy. I think for me, what was a little disappointing was the low utilization of the aldosterone antagonists. I think it's hard to ignore the fact that this is a very closely almost replicated study of FSA where, you know, a plerinone kind of just knocked it out of the park. Um, and there's obviously some key differences between Ephesus and, and this study in terms of just event rates and the way these patients were managed. But it was a little disheartening to see not even half these patients be prescribed an aldosterone antagonist. There's several, I think, take-home points here, but one of the key ones for me was to just not lose sight of some of the great therapies that we already have. And I've made a sort of mental note to continue to really harp on the utilization of aldosterone antagonists in the right patient to make sure they receive that benefit. Yeah. And largely we know that MRIs have similar contraindications with the low GFR and the elevated serum potassium. So we know these patients would have been safe to start on MRI. So I felt the same way. I was a little bit disheartened that we didn't use the known 
mortality reducing benefit, especially in this early period. If you remember, they did that secondary analysis of ephesus where patients started on days three to seven were even better off than patients started on days eight to 14. So now we are like literally in that sweet pot where MRI should have been initiated as well. And I don't know if being in this study actually precluded folks from being as aggressive with that as they would have otherwise. As Sucupitrol Valsartan has sort of snuck in in this early post-ACS period, are you seeing it affect your MRA utilization or are you guys still doing pretty good with MRA? I think MRA use is definitely something that we could improve on. I do get some pushback with concerns for hyperkalemia because we are often also initiating a RAS inhibitor. So worried about sort of the dual effects there. But I think for me, you know, especially if Sacubitrovalsartan ends up being the way that providers start to go, I think you could argue that we know that there's not any increased risk for hyperkalemia or renal dysfunction with sacubitravalsartan compared to our other RAS inhibitors. So I'd feel still very comfortable with that combination. And so I think it's just a matter of continuing to press and, and educate and remind the providers of just the profound benefit that they, these patients could receive from starting an MRA early. And I think we hear the same thing. So, and I think NCDR data would say that you and I aren't the only two pharmacists that are hearing the same thing, that people are not starting it as frequently as patients qualify. These patients were going to have early follow-up. If you look at the methods paper, follow-up was at one week, two weeks, then four weeks, then at two months, four months, and every four months. So I cannot think of a better patient to be closely monitored for the initiation of an MRA. (laughs) Plenty of times to check labs and catch that hyperkalemia if it's going to happen. Absolutely. As far as applicability to the United States, I think there was some good probing questions of the study investigators at ACC about this, but let's talk a little bit about those demographics. So fairly low enrollment of women and and certainly very low enrollment of black patients. So what are your thoughts on those two things and how it affects our application in the US? Yeah, I think it's really not a critique of just this study, right? I mean, this is the demographics that we've seen in all the cardiology trials that come out. I feel like it's this exact demographic. And then you read papers about how women are less likely to receive secondary prevention therapies. And you have to wonder where that disconnect is in terms of are women less likely to be diagnosed or less likely to be approached to enroll or less likely to enroll. Maybe women are more likely to decline enrollment. You know, I think I had hoped for maybe a little bit more of a discussion about that during ACC and the authors might not have the answer to this question, but what, if any barriers did they identify for enrolling more women? Because I do think that that continues to be an area that we we miss the mark for when it comes to enrolling more women just in, in cardiovascular clinical trials. And, you know, the, the lack of black patients too, I think is also really hard for me to swallow, especially just with the patient population that I see here at UIC and the questionable benefits that have come up about Secubitravalsartan and the efficacy in black patients. It, it makes it all the more challenging for me to come back. And, you know, even if this were a positive trial, it would make it all that more challenging for me to come back and actually implement it in my clinical practice based on the patients that I see on a daily basis. Very good points. You know, I think it would be fair to say that we're all a little 
you know, left wanting when we read this, because as pharmacists, we also know the struggles with actually getting those patients who are maybe more of a paradigm type patient on Secubitril Valsartan from cost standpoint, from a compliance standpoint, from so many things. So this trial personally doesn't compel me to fight that battle when it was no better than Ramapro, but I would love to sort of hear what you see as the future for this and how you see the use going in your patient population. Yeah, I think in terms of how we can potentially take these results and apply it to clinical practice, I think you could argue that in the very beginning, the initiation of Secubitravalsartan post-myocardial infarction in new systolic dysfunction patients might not be necessary. They might not really receive the benefit that we would hope. But in those patients who a couple months out from their infarct continue to have symptoms or continue to have hospitalizations for heart failure, that would be probably the patient that you might want to think about switching. And I think that's what the authors were maybe trying to get at when they sort of lumped in total heart failure outcomes and hospitalizations in that endpoint where there was that statistical significant difference. And I think ultimately that just sort of confirms what we already know with Secubitravalsartan is in the more chronic heart failure patients, we do see that reduction in hospitalizations and morbidity and mortality. So I think how I plan to sort of apply this in practice is, you know, continue to start ACE and ARBs post-MI for new systolic dysfunction and have those patients receive the close follow-up that they should be getting. And if their symptoms continue to persist or they develop new heart failure symptoms, that would be a patient where you might want to consider making that switch and starting them on Secubitravalsartan. I will say, Stephanie, that my practice where I see patients a week after ACS, we already experience a lot of patients with all this new and fairly complex medical regimen having issues with adherence and or having issues with tolerability. So the thing that maybe made me most nervous about this was that difference in hypotension with a statistically significantly more people having hypotension on Secubitril Balsartan. So that would probably be the leading thing that would contribute to me asking them to follow the approach you just mentioned, really maybe waiting and see how they talk tolerate our known 100% evidence-based therapies, including that MRA that we've hit it at, and then coming back down the line. And once they've tolerated all that, if we don't see recovery of their EF or we see worsening heart failure symptoms, then doing early escalation to advanced heart failure therapies. So Stephanie, I'd like you maybe to wrap this all up for our listeners. What are your big takeaways from Paradise MI and how will you think about this study in reference to everything else we know about this patient population? Yeah. So while this study wasn't that slam dunk for Secubitrovalsartan that I was hoping for, I think there still was a really positive message that was presented at ACC with this study. And that was with just how far we've come and the drastic improvements that we've made in the management of these patients. The mortality curves that were presented from the acute coronary syndrome trials in the 90s, the early 2000s, and then now in 2021 with Paradise MI, you see that constant decline in in mortality rate. And I think that overall positive message was a really cool take-home point for me to see. I think we've really come a long way in our management of these patients, you know, mostly secondary to the advancements in revascularization and development of our oral P2I12 inhibitors. And so I think overall, the positive take-home here is that we're really doing a pretty great job compared to 20, 30 years ago when it comes to reducing uh, mortality and CV death in these, these patients. So, you know, I look forward to seeing how the data continues to unfold over time and hopefully we'll only continue to get better when it comes to managing these patients. Wonderful. Well, on behalf of the whole CardioScripts team, I really want to thank you for joining us today to discuss the Paradise MI trial. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to CardioScripts. 
If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cardioscripts and check out our website at Cardioscripts.com. The views and opinions are those of the individuals on today's episode. The ACCP Cardiology PRN is not responsible for the presented content or its accuracy.